everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. My fellow co-host, Daryl Grove, is not with me in studio today. Uh, the plan is for him to be back tomorrow as we answer more than a few listener questions. Uh, and then also on Thursday for a USA-Cuba preview. Our plan is then to uh, go up for the USA-Cuba game in D.C., uh, record a review show, hopefully from Audi Field Friday evening, and maybe, possibly, just maybe, uh, do a USA-Cuba listener question show on the way back from Washington to Richmond. Uh, We'll see how all that works out. Uh, But that is the rough plan for the rest of the week. For today, I'm talking to David Amoyal of the Coucholand podcast. Uh, He's with me to discuss the decline of AC Milan, the consistent issue of racism in Serie A this season, and what is sort of being done to curb it. And then a bit about the title race and David's thoughts on Inter and Juve thus far, as well as a few other topics thrown in there. Uh, As always, it's a lovely chat with David. He is a great guest and a good friend, and we're always happy to have him on. Uh, So let's get to it. With me on the other end of the line, making his triumphant return to the Total Soccer Show, at least I'm going to assume it's triumphant, it's David Amoyal. David, thank you so much for taking the time today. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I appreciate being invited back, and uh, buongiorno, as you would say in Italy, to all the listeners. Lovely. Well done. Well done. Way to make it authentic right off the bat. Uh, I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit more about uh, the sort of consistent allegations of racism in Syria that we've seen this season. There have been, I think, even more this week against Lazio. Um, but I don't want to start off on too negative of a topic, so instead <laughs> we're going to talk about a slightly negative topic, which is AC Milan. Um, sure. Uh, the, obvious, the obvious question here, uh, I've been clicking update, clicking refresh. I'm going to ask you to start off. Uh, at time of recording, who is the current manager of AC Milan? So officially, the current manager is still Marco Giampaolo, who was hired this summer. He was the seventh manager that Milan has had since Allegri was sacked in January of 2014. But it's really just a matter of time. It's very possible that by the time most people listen to this, Giampaolo will be gone. Uh, the clear front runner right now to replace him is former Lazio, Inter, and Fiorentina manager Stefano Pioli. There was some buzz on former Inter manager Spalletti coming in, but as we're recording now, everything points to Pioli. And and last I saw, there were already Pioli out hashtags <laughs> trending uh, because of the connection to Inter Milan. Why do you think he is the name they'll go for, or why is he the name they're going to go for, and how do you think that will work out? So I, I think the Inter fan, to be honest, is just a small part of this. Um, they're, the, officially, their current manager, Marco Giampaolo, is also an Inter fan. I think even Ancelotti, who's very well loved by uh, Milan fans, grew up as an Interista. I think, you know, more than anything, the Pioli out controversy is this feels once again like a lateral move uh, for Milan fans. I think a lot of people feel that, you know what, if you're not going to get Spalletti or someone better or say someone like Rafa Benitez or a manager like that, you might as well keep going with Giampaolo. I'm not sure that I agree, but in any event, I think it's really just the perception that been there, done that. We just keep changing managers, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. And like, I, this could also be a very long answer. I, I'm aware of that, and I'm aware that I'm asking you to kind of summarize 
maybe two to three decades of history, but we, we are a very long way away from the Milan teams that I remember that dominated yeah. Serie A, that dominated Europe. Can you, like, as best you can kind of explain how we've gotten to this point? Because I know there's lots of different factors, but I have, I have struggled to find a way that kind of concisely explains what has led AC Milan to the position they're in. So the Cliff Notes version of this, I would say the event that started all this and Milan really hasn't recovered from it was when uh, Milan, uh, when Silvio Berlusconi was the president, when he got divorced and uh, basically one of his daughters, not Barbara, who Milan fans might be familiar with, his oldest daughter essentially was in charge of uh, the family wealth, and they decided that Milan was really not an area they were going to spend money on. And the summer when they sold Ibrahimovic and Thiago Silva to PSG, to me, was the end of the phase of the Milan that you talked about. Berlusconi had taken over in the mid-80s. Milan, when he took it over, it's hard to believe, but they were actually in worse shape than they are now. Berlusconi loves to always say he's the winningest president in the history of world football. Great run. They ran out of, you know, they just decided to stop investing on that. So once Ibrahimovic and Thiago Silva left, we had a lot of free transfers, loan deals and whatnot. There was an investment on the team. The team got progressively worse. Uh, Berlusconi ended up selling the team. And I kind of put that in air quotes a little bit. We had these mysterious Chinese owners uh, that disappeared almost as quickly as they appeared. And now we have the Elliott Fund uh, based here in the U.S. who are the owners of Milan, they've been, you know, trying to cut costs. There is, you know, basically a cap on how much they're spending on salaries, both for managers and players. So here we are. The thinking is, you know, let's try to find young players that are going to get better under us and become stars here, hoping to get back in the Champions League that way. Uh, but so far, it hasn't worked out. But I think really the event that changed everything uh, was Berlusconi stopping spending and Ibrahimovic leaving. And so now we're in, in a situation in which we expect them to part ways with uh, Gianpaolo, who has not been there very long. I forget the precise number of days, but it can be tracked in days, which is telling right there. Why did they appoint him in the first place? And how much is he to blame for their present condition? Because I'm assuming it's sort of like Manchester United in that, like, the manager might be part of the problem, but he is probably not the biggest problem. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, so Giampaolo was hired this summer. As I mentioned, Milan kind of had a cap on how much they were going to spend on a manager. He fit that cap. And look, you know, I thought it was a pretty good hire. I thought tactically he was the best manager they had had since Allegri. I think the main reason they hired him is he has a very good track record with young players. When he was at Sampdoria and previously at Empoli, he developed a lot of young players. Uh, Skriniar, and then we have Torreira, Pride, um, you know, who are Pride and Torreira now in the Premier League. Uh, we've had Anderson, who went for a big fee to Lyon. So I think now, I mean, Milan kind of said, OK, this is a guy who is going to make our young players improve. He has a clear offensive philosophy. Now, I think Giampaolo's problem, and I have to be honest, I'm usually not in favor of sacking managers so soon. I think in this case, I can see why. 
his downfall is that he wasn't using the young players enough. He was going more for the veterans, the Bilia, the Kalanoglu, the Rodriguez guys who have been struggling for a while. Milan fans and management, and I think that's really management wanted to see the players they had acquired. So Benacer, who was great at Empoli, won the player of the tournament of the Africa Cup. Um, you know, and Leal, who arrived from Liga, and he's been really impressive since then. And the other problem for Giampaolo is the two players Milan had invested in a lot last January, Piontek uh, and Paqueta, have really struggled under him. So I think ultimately that was his downfall. Uh, he also kind of felt a little bit over his head. In his statements to the media, he seemed a little bit confused with his lineups. In the season opener, he started Andres Silva over Piontek, and then two days later, Andres Silva left on loan, and we kind of saw a lot of these puzzling decisions. So I was in favor of the Giampaola hire, but I think he was disappointing across the board. And while it's not per se huge upgrade name-wise, I think it kind of makes sense to make a change. But I know I'm in the minority here. We shall see how that plays out. But that is the type of story that like, I am sort of used to with Serie A of managerial turnover and a lot of drama behind the scenes. This type of story that is becoming more common, at least it seems to me, uh, relate to allegations, accusations of racism in Serie A, particularly among Serie A fans. Uh, as I said earlier, I think there were reports that UEFA is opening uh, disciplinary proceedings or at least investigation against Lazio for some comments made yeah. by their fans. Um, so I wanted to start there. Same question I asked Leander. I'm curious for your thoughts on is like, is this an issue that seems more prevalent in Italy than elsewhere in Europe? Or is it just that it gets more coverage, the incidents in Italy? No, I think it's fair to say this happens more in Italy. And I'll tell you, you know, to me, what happens in the stadiums is really a reflection of a society at large, you know, without getting too geopolitical, like, um, Immigration, A, I would say, is a bigger issue in Italy than it is here. It is used for political capital. Um, and so there's a lot of that. It's also the history of Italy. You know, Italy really wasn't a country as a whole until the mid 1800s. Italy was, you know, kind of a collection of these small states. It's a very parochial place. It's a very us against them kind of mentality on the regional and even the city level. So I think that kind of way of thinking really then translate to foreigners and people coming uh, to play in Italy. I think, you know, the, the difference between Italy and a lot of other places, and look, it, it does happen in other places. There's just really no accountability in Italy. I think the Premier League has done fantastic work making an example when uh, there's these instances happen. But then you have the leaders of Italian football kind of dismissing it as not an issue. Uh, the previous president of the Italian Federation in his opening press conferences, you know, was talking about bananas and dark skinned players. So this was his introduction to leading Italian football. Then we had the president of CONI, which is the biggest uh, sporting institution in Italy. They cover all sports, not just soccer you know, said, yeah, okay, racism is kind of a problem, but a much bigger problem are players who make a lot of money who are simulating to get a penalty. He used some whataboutism and a really bad case 
of whataboutism. And then, you know, we also have the presidents of the team. You know, you mentioned Lazio, their president, Lotito, you know, recently said, oh, you know, people do that boo racist chant also to people that are normal color skin. And he used the word normal. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Uh, The last point that I want to make on this, and I'm happy to answer any other questions. To me, what's really interesting, though, is that the clubs who in Italy who have a vision to want to expand their brand internationally are combating this problem. So Juve is essentially getting rid of all their organized groups in the stadium. They're just saying, you know what, we're done with ultras. We had Milan and Inter at their recent derby make a big deal about the fight on racism. Milan have been very vocal about this. I give them a lot of credit. Inter to a certain extent, although they've had issues with their fans. And Roma, you know, they've been taking this issue head on. Uh, that's another club. You know, everyone loves the English, the English account for Roma. They are all about international branding. They banned a fan for life who sent a racist message to one of their players. And they've been really challenging the media in Italy. So to me, it's not surprising those clubs are vocal because they know this impacts their brand, while the smaller teams who really rely on the local support so the Cagliari, the Hellas Veronas of the world, who that's really their bread and butter is the local fans. They enable them. They deny that it happens. So that's really the problem. And I think we're going to see a bigger this trend continuing of the divide of the teams at the top wanting to do something about it and the people that rely on the local fans just enabling it. Hopefully that changes. But that's really the distinction that I see. Uh, going back to Juventus for a moment, how are the uh, the Drugi, if that's how you pronounce it, how are they taking yeah. the decision to like sort of move away from the individual supporters groups? Not well. Uh, I, I had I a mean, feeling. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm ambivalent on the ultra phenomenon because you know, a, you know, if you look at the choreographies and you know this match Inter Juve, we saw Inter fans with an unbelievable choreography. We know the atmosphere that. Ultra groups can create. Uh, last season, Juve's best match by far was when they beat Atletico Madrid 3-0. There was a great atmosphere. But the problem is a lot of ultra groups, they would tell you that they are the actual club. They're, in their mind, they're like, you know what? Players come and go. Even directors, owners come and go. We are always here. We are the club. So I think they kind of have an inflated, uh, you know, opinion of maybe the impact that they have. Uh, Juve in years past, I mean, they've had a lot of issues because there's even ties uh, to the mob that was running a lot of the, from the Southern Italy running uh, Juve's Curva, you know, they had season tickets, merchandise, and Juve's just done with this. Their president, Andrea Agnelli, after the recent scandals that came up, has just made a clean break. So the ultras there are taking it very seriously. I mean, for a while, I mean, it might sound crazy, but there wasn't even any security or stewards in the curva where they are in Juve Stadium, and that finally changed now. So there isn't a good reaction. I think, though, Juve kind of models themselves more out of the sporting events that we see here in the United States, where those sorts of things are just unimaginable. And I think they're really modeling themselves after that. So I think they're kind of trying to be the... um, the role models for this, like Milan is following suit a little bit. Like as an example, they don't let 
uh, the smoke machines, the drums, a lot of the things into the stadium. That's a big change. So maybe this is starting to also impact other teams as well. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor taking a break from my conversation with David Amoyal to let you know about today's sponsor, Manscaped. Um, you've heard me do reads for Manscaped before, and I have been reliably informed by both friends and family that my efforts to do these reads uh, without getting wildly uncomfortable have, for the most part, failed. Uh, but what will not fail you are the products on offer from Manscaped, such as their Lawnmower 2.0, which has proprietary skin-safe technology. The trimmer will not nick or snag. It is a finely calibrated electric trimmer, which is what you want when you're uh, taking care of the hair down there. That's one I just came up with on the fly, and now I'm very proud of myself. Uh, but they also have other products, which will work just as well, like the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. There's the Crop Reviver, which is specifically designed for highly sensitive, high-friction areas of the body. It has aloe and witch hazel extracts, which sounds fancy but also sounds quite nice and pleasant. And then they've got the Crop Cleanser, which is an invigorating body wash, which I have used and I have very much enjoyed. So that is a small sampling of the products available from Manscaped. If you want to check those out, uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at Manscaped.com. One more time, for 20% off and free shipping, use the code TSS at Manscaped.com. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. It is always very much appreciated, uh, as is the time taken by David Amoyal to make sense of Serie A. So let's get back to him doing just that. Um, so Leander was also arguing that there's this idea that like um, essentially fans, like we saw this with the uh, Inter supporters when they wrote their, <laughs> their letter to Lukaku, the idea that like you have to intend it to be racist for it to be racist. Otherwise, it's just an insult. And he was, I think his <laughs> argument was the logic contends that if you're not thinking racist thoughts while shouting monkey noises at a black player, those monkey noises then aren't racist. Uh, that was from his article he wrote for Yahoo. Like, do you agree that that is how the fans like, uh, have defended their actions? Like, is that a genuine belief they actually have? Or is that a very convenient way to explain away racism? No, I actually but genuinely believe that in their mind, that's what they're doing. I mean, like I mentioned, they have um, inflated opinion of how much they matter and the impact they have. And in their mind, they are doing everything they can to help their team win. So I do buy it. I don't think it's a convenient excuse. They would say, hey, you know, we never say that to you on the street. Um, so no, I do believe it. Obviously it's a horrible argument. Uh, to me, it's like, you know, to me, the only person that can really judge it is someone who receives this. They are the judge of like what's racist and what's inappropriate. I don't think they can really be the judge Mm -hmm. of that. Uh, you know, unless, you know, unless you are a black player who gets called those horrible things, I don't think you can really judge. But no, I I, I genuinely believe uh, that in their mind, they are just helping their team. Again, I go back to like the us versus them uh, parochialism in Italy. This is part of it. Uh, You know, in their mind, it's fine to attack a black player on the other team while they have black players on their team on the pitch at the same time. So, no, I, I think it's a completely insane defense, but I genuinely believe that in their mind, that's what they're doing. And so do you think this is an issue that uh, essentially only gets solved or only improves by those larger clubs taking action? It sounds like there won't be much from like Syria executives or the Italian FA or anything like that. It sounds like it's going to be the individual larger clubs sort of leaving that, leading that uh, fight. 
No, I think that's definitely the key. I also think, you know, and I know Serie A now is looking to expand here in the United States. I think, you know, there has to be some hope that, you know, there's a lot of older people running Italian sports right now, a lot of older owners that this starts changing. I think it's great that we have more foreign owners coming into Serie A, which obviously helps. Um, you know, the other thing that I think that gives me somewhat hope is, you know, we live in a, a culture now, you know, where there's a lot of outrage and, you know, a cancel culture. And look, you know, while we can stay here and debate that all day, I think in this case, it, it actually can really help. I think the fact that now people can communicate so instantly with social media and give it, you know, so much attention certainly helps you know Sedia has been on the upswing in a lot of ways with Ronaldo and now Inter getting better so I think they are starting to get more attention and I think if they if it starts impacting the branding uh, then that's great so I am cautiously optimistic that this can uh, change a little bit again because the top clubs are already taking action um, one more, one more question on this kind of, on this topic, uh, sort of. Uh, I am like nominally a Roma fan. Um, okay. That's mostly because I've, I've liked them since like like youngish Totti was there in like the yeah. early early two thousands, and because they, in my mind, are the opposite of Lazio, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask about is. Do you have, I, I, I'm aware that I'm asking you to go way back in the way back machine. Do you like have, uh, a, a, another succinct explanation for that sort of fundamental difference between Roma and Lazio? Cause as, as I've always understood it, Lazio, uh, the right wing club, Roma, the left wing club, but I'm not entirely certain how that was established. No, I, I think that's a fair characterization like you know you just look at Lazio's symbol like the eagle and yeah. the whole kind of uh, what the club's all about you can definitely see some roots in the right wing section now look you know I also wouldn't want to characterize Roma fans as ultras as angels and the Lazio <laughs> ones bad uh, because they've certainly have had instances in recent years more with violence than that but I do think that is a, a very fair assessment and I think look right now that historically that has always been true but now I think the difference is Really, really remarkable. I mean, again, Lazio has Lotito as president, who's talking about normal color skin. Lazio Ultras, you know, have a lot of power. They were in charge of the merchandising for the club not until long ago. Roma, on the other hand, with Palotta, have been much more international. You know, I'm, I'm good friends with the people on the social media team here in Boston. You know, they are very progressive. They get things the right way and i really applaud them for how they've been handling this they're like you know let's try to they've been using their platform for good you know the missing children initiative with the announcements now this with the racism there is a clear contrast with lazio so what was true historically is now becoming more and more apparent all right i i appreciate that uh, another succinct explanation that's why i enjoy david uh making appearances because he can explain things that would take me several hours of research <laughs> slash several days and maybe weeks so thank you for that uh, i wanted to go back uh to a point you made uh earlier in the show we were talking about how like there tends to be crossover in like who managers have coached in the past or who they grew up supporting Ancelotti yeah. being one between inter and milan 
do you have an idea of like what the barrier is there? Because it seems like sometimes that's okay, but then there were the stories uh, that like uh, Juve fans wanted to remove Antonio Conte's star or, or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. Like, where is that line? Is it just as soon as a foreign manager goes to another big Italian club, that's it? They're done. So it's an interesting question. So as an example, Juve's captain, Chiellini, grew up as a big Milan fan. You know, there's that famous picture of him and Maldini going at it, but Maldini was kind of like his idol too. So, I mean, there's long stories about this. I mean, Pirlo was a big Inter fan. Many people know him for Milan and Juve was briefly at Inter. That didn't last long i i think the conte one though is really that's a bigger example because he was both a juve captain and the manager who turned them around uh and then inter look i think the fact that juve fans are a little bit concerned about inter because they have been very impressive not only is conte there but so is executive director marotta who was at juve and he was one of the architects on their turnaround there's that. Inter had gotten off to such a strong start to the season. And Conte, you know, he has always said, you know, I'm a professional. And even in his second year when he was at Juve, he was asked, would you ever coach Inter? And he said, not only would I coach Inter, but if I go there, I'll become their first fan. And that's really what he's always been about. I personally, I'm kind of tend to agree, though, with Conte on the idea of the star he earned the star but i think you know we really live so much in a prisoner of the moment society i strongly believe that 50 years from now people really aren't going to remember this but they are going to remember the amazing turnaround that conte did at juve i mean without him i mean as much as i like allegri and as much as i like sarri i don't think they would have been able to do what conte did at the start. So there's been, you know, a lot of bad blood, Juve and Inter, you know, big rivals. We also saw it on the transfer market this summer between Lukaku, Icardi, Dybala, all that. I think Conte did make a good point that the media in Italy really likes to fuel these things almost too much. And he said, you know, in England, this stuff would have never happened. So I do see his point. And I also kind of get the anger from Juve fans. But look, you know, when Bonucci came back from Milan, everyone thought he would never be accepted back at the club. And now he's the captain. There are still some people that complain on Twitter, but he's been very well received, especially at the stadium. So uh, time heals all wounds, I guess. Uh, final question for you with that in mind. Uh, you mentioned 50 years from now, how we'll remember things. 10 to 20 years from now, how do you think people will, re- will remember this Serie A season based on what we've seen through seven games? I would say this has the potential to be the most balanced season across the board. So I, I know Inter lost against Juve and Juve's back at the top of the standing, but I think Inter has clearly bridged the gap quite a bit. I think, you know, up until Sensi came out with an injury for the most part, Inter was holding up to Juve. They just don't have the depth to hold on to them. I have to keep up with them. I have to say I'm a bit disappointed in Napoli. I was really expecting more. They've been excellent and against the top teams, not so much against the lower table teams. But I do think both of them have what's needed to make at the top interesting. I don't think this will be a cakewalk for Juve. I think the Champions League race 
is going to be fascinating. We have Atalanta, who what's really surprising is I think a lot of people expected some regression from them, and they've been even better than last season. I don't think they can challenge Juve, but they'll be right there. We have Roma, Lazio. Let's see if Milan can get back on track. We have Fiorentina, who are really, really exciting right now. So I think there's some clear improvements. And even at the bottom, historically, the teams that come up from Serie B, the second division, there's at least one that is completely in over their head. (laughs) All three are off to a good start. So I think we'll have some interesting races. So I think there's a good chance that in 10, 20 years from now, we'll look back to this season and say, you know what, this is the beginning more of parity, even you look at Juve, Ronaldo, Chiellini are, are up there in age. So maybe we'll look back at this season as when Juve's utter dominance ended. Uh, and if people want to maybe track the season in which Juve's utter dominance end, uh, David Amoyal would be a good person to follow, to pay attention to, to read, to listen to. David, how can people hear or read more uh, of what you're doing? Thanks so much. So yeah, so we do a cultural and podcast twice a week. Uh, some of you that are into the Premier League are probably familiar with my co-host, Alex Goldberg, who's been fantastic. I have him on because he kind of is uh, the outside eye into Serie A. I'm kind of a Serie A nerd, so he balances that out. So I think you'll enjoy it. We have to some pop culture transfers, but we cover the league deep. can read articles. I'm on ESPN, sometimes on The Athletic, on Euro Fantasy Game. I write two articles a week. And if you want to become a Couchland patron, I also have two articles a week there. And uh, Taylor, I can't thank you enough. I really love your show. Thank you. Uh, such, uh, Such good questions. It's nice to be on the other end once in a while as opposed to the one asking the questions. You you don't want you don't just want questions like now AC Milan they were the red one, right? <laughs> Is that what you're used to? Absolutely. I'll try to do better than that. And I do look forward to there's it seems like there's a distinct possibility that given the rate of turnover maybe like this season you end up managing Milan and if so <laughs> then I look forward to talking to you about that as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dale. I'll be ready for it.